Thank you, Lori. Thank you, team. As we continue this morning in the book of Ruth, uh, we continue in this sermon series, Living Well in a Broken World. And again, I would ask you to stay with me to the end today, uh, because you may along the way say, how in the world does this uh, apply to living well in a broken world? Similar to last week when a few asked me, I didn't know if you were going to ever get there, but you did. <laughs> so just trust me, I'll get there at some point. Um, so today we're looking at the last part of the, the second uh, chapter. If you want to begin to turn to Ruth, it's the eighth book in the Old Testament, and we'll be looking in a few minutes at chapter 2. According to the Lexium survey of theology, providence is the governing power of God that oversees his creation and works out his plan for it, which means that God is in action. God is, after creation, he continued to interact, to be a part of the governing, a part of his creation. He didn't just wind it up and send it off on its own, never having that connection to what he created. And he continues today, has continued all along from creation to be intimately involved in all that takes place throughout his creation. This word providence is related to the word provision, and that is one of the words that we will look at today. And God exerts his providence by offering provisions for his people. His sovereignty rules over all the earth as he carries out his redemptive plan. The difficult theology of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility leaves us in awe of how God works in the world and yet still has made man the ability to make decisions. We are not a puppet. We can make decisions. But despite man's ability to reason... God is ultimately sovereign. I want to say that again. Despite our ability to reason, God is still sovereign in all things. His providence is clearly seen throughout creation, throughout all of his revelation to us. Just look at some things that took place prior to the book of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi and, and their story. God was redeeming countless people from Adam and Eve, choosing Abram to be the father of a nation, choosing a, de a deceptive uh, Jacob, choosing a murderer in Moses, yet he was intimately involved in every decision to bring about his redemptive plan. 
everything was going to fall into place because of his sovereignty, because of who God is, because of his redemption plan. It will and has come to fruition in ways through us. It continues in the ways he leads in his creation forward. And just think about some of those that I just mentioned, those who were a part of the coming Messiah, the foreshadowing of the Messiah that would come, his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to look at this end of this chapter 2 in Ruth. And we are going to look at acknowledging God's provision through praise. His sovereignty is clearly seen. We have seen it unfold since the first chapter and we continue to see it today. And I want you to take notice this morning that often God will work through his people for his providence and his provision. If you have your Bibles, Ruth 2, I'll be reading again. I finished with verse 17 last week, but I want to pick up there and read to the end of the chapter. Hear this now, the word of God. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was a epiph of barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had had left after she was satisfied. Her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He is a, our, one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabite said, Father, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So stay close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you hold for us through this, your holy word. We pray this in your name. Amen. We know from chapter 1 that, that Ruth came back to, I mean, Naomi came back to Bethlehem uh, bitter. She had said, you know, don't call me Naomi call me Mara, which was the word for bitter. And, and we know what happened. Elimelech, her husband, had died. There was famine in the land. They left. He died. Her two sons died. She's left with her 
Moabite daughter-in-laws, and she begins to make her trek back, as we know, to Bethlehem. And she says, the Lord Almighty has dealt with me, has, has dealt with me. I, I went away full and I came back empty, she said. I came back empty. I've heard people say before, and it, it somewhat puzzles me, but I've heard people say, I know God exists, but I'm not sure that God is good. Probably at some point in our life, if we've lived very long, we have asked the question as trials or temptation or suffering or something has come upon us, we've lost a loved one that we didn't expect to lose. And we've said, why? Why, Lord? Why now? Why me? It, it seems perfect that Naomi feels the way she feels, that life has caved in on her. Life, as, as she knew it, has just bombarded her that she would lose her husband, her boys, and now she's in a foreign land and needs to come home. The, the famine has ended, and it is here that she might find rest or she might find provision. She acknowledges God. She acknowledges her circumstances. But she recognizes her life stinks. She's hurting. And what will she do? Will she turn to praise? If if this morning we are at that place where we feel like things are caving in on us, we must remember that maybe this first chapter of Ruth, God wants us to hear that, look, there are struggles. There's going to be times when we face difficulties. There's going to be times when we may feel like we are holding on by a thread of hope. And God gives us permission in that moment to say, man, life is tough. But we must realize what Naomi realized. And that is, though her plight was tough, was hard, it made her see life bitterly at the time. God had not abandoned her. When, when her faith was weak, he was faithful. When she had doubts about what was next, her frustrations to God were certainly there. He met her. He met her tenderly. He met her through people. There is so often that in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of suffering, it's in that deep, experience that we meet God and have communion with him more closely. I will tell you that there's times when we meet God in those moments that it radically alters our life. I can tell you that 
you know, as a 15-year-old when my mom died, you know, those, the things of surrounding her death and the things in the month to fo- months to follow, I mean, it shaped radically who I was. Um, that April 24th of 1973, when I surrendered my life to God, it radically changed who I was. In that deep, dark place that I was, I realized that God was present, that God was with me. No matter how much I had lashed out, no matter how I had said, why, God, why have you allowed my mom to die? It was in that moment that I felt the closest It was in that moment that I surrendered. It was in that moment that I was baptized the following Sunday. It was in that moment that I heard God's call. Because I believe, had I not experienced it, and I'm not saying that I wanted my mom dead so that, but I'm telling you, because of what happened, it changed my life, and I was able to hear God in a different way. I was able to hear his call. I was different. I believe that Naomi came back to Bethlehem from Moab. She came back different. She came back in a place where God had her, even in the tragedy. Last week, we talked about grace. We talked about how grace was poured out. Fields of grace were poured out and how we are to offer grace. Regardless, we are to offer grace. I didn't say condone sin. I said we are to offer grace. We're to speak truth in love. And we see here that Ruth recognizes her mother-in-law's plight. She understands what her mother-in-law is going through to a point that she didn't abandon her. She walked with her to Bethlehem. She is now with her. I love Boaz's imagery in the past verses where he says that God's wing, the Lord's wing has overshadowed her, has come over her. And just think about that, how a a mother hen covers her brood and protects them. And this is what Boaz was the imagery he is using. And we begin to see that, that Naomi can praise God because of the provision that God has provided for her. He has provided Ruth, and we're going to see how Boaz comes into play. And I will tell you, the Lord often cares for his people through his people. God often cares for his people through his people. That doesn't mean it's the only way he cares. God can do as he pleases, and he often comforts in different ways. But I will tell you that I believe more often than not, God uses us, his people. He uses believers to come alongside to help those that are struggling, to help those certainly that are lost. So in Ruth, we hear God only twice 
in direct provision being spoken. In 1.6, we see that God has put, he has put an end to the famine in uh, Judea. And then the second time occurs in chapter 4, verse 13. And, and that is where it says that God uh, opens Ruth's womb. God enables Ruth to conceive a child with Boaz. And we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But throughout, even though there are only two direct instances where we see God's direct hand, throughout the entire book we see God moving and working his action throughout this writing. The main characters of the story repeat over and over the sovereignty. They acknowledge the sovereignty and the provision that God has for his people and how he works through others to provide it. And so I want to look at these, these verses this morning and just break them down. And, and the first is that Ruth shares, as we see in verse 17 and 18. If you look back for a second, we know that, again, Ruth has journeyed with Naomi. Uh, she has comforted her along the way. She did not go back to her home, to her mother, to her father. She did not do what Orpha did and return home. She clung, as the scripture said, to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And when Naomi was bitter and discouraged, and when Naomi maybe felt at her lowest, Ruth didn't say, oh, I think I'll just go home. I don't need to put up with this. I don't need to have to deal with all of this. No, she stayed. Ruth shares a part of who she is. Ruth stays with her mother-in-law. And we see God's covenant faithfulness exhibited to Naomi through the loyalty and the affection of Ruth. Just think about Naomi for a minute as she went back to Bethlehem. Certainly, as we know, people recognized her. Is this Naomi? They would have known that Elimelech, as she, they hear her story, he's not there, the boys are not there, they have all passed away. And certainly she was at a point of deep depression at the end of her rope. Maybe she was even sick for her daughter-in-law. Sick to her stomach that maybe some had already shunned her. Maybe some had already spoke to her because here's this foreigner, this, this country that is, is just so disdained to the Jews that it was their enemy. And here is this Moabite woman that's come back with Naomi and she's in our midst. And, and Naomi alludes to that in this passage. Honey, you need to stay with Boaz's maids because you see, if you go to another field, you could fall into, and you just add whatever it may be, persecution, abuse, whatever. And so she is looking at the protection of her daughter-in-law. And we see in, in this text that Ruth 
did not just sit there. She knew that there had to be something done. Her mother-in-law was in a state where she needed to do something. She was loving her, caring for her, and now she was going to go out and glean for her. And so the first part of this second chapter is about her gleaning, as we talked about last week. And now she returns home in verse 17. She took what she had, she had beat it out, and it says in verse 18, she took, what, took it up and she went to the city and took what she had gleaned. What she had gleaned was probably somewhere around 25 to, to 30 pounds of, of barley. It, it would have been a massive haul. She had gleaned all day, and she would have carried this, and maybe she was um, you know, this was pretty heavy. She would have been worn out at the, at the end of this day and, and carrying this after having beat out the barley. I'm worn out by just taking a daggone uh, bag of dog food in the house for Finnick. I can't imagine carrying 30 pounds of barley. So we see, we learn from Ruth these circumstances that are facing them. We, we see a reversal. Do, do you remember I said that Naomi said, I went out full and I came back empty? Well, well, guess what Ruth did? Ruth went out empty and she came back full. God's provision. God's blessing. God had just begun to show his loving kindness, that hesed, that Hebrew word I shared last week, that loving kindness that comes from the Father, his provision to her is, is probably more than she had ever known in her life. And Ruth took that provision and Ruth shares. We could point to several aspects of Ruth's life just to lift up she was industrious. She was grateful. She was committed. She was caring. These are attributes of who Ruth was. But we see in this passage is that as Naomi, as Naomi had questioned God and God's goodness as far as how her life had ended up, we now begin to see that that's no longer the case. It's not, it's not the case when it comes to Naomi or for Ruth because God is merciful. God is gracious. God is providing for Naomi and for Ruth. And so Naomi shares. God cares, makes provision for his people, often through his people. And that is one way that we live well in a broken world, is our care for others. Not only does Ruth share, but we see that Naomi recovers in verses 19, 19 through 20. And, and so we have this gleaning that has taken place, and, and, and even Ruth has brought back some of what she had for her, her lunch that Boaz had given her, if you remember in the prior text, it says that he had given her something to eat 
and she was full but had not eaten everything because she was satisfied. And here we see that she brought back what was left over from her lunch for her mother-in-law. Again, taking care of her mother. But despite Naomi's bitterness, Ruth not only loved and cared for her, but we see that the Lord begins to resurrect this lifeless Naomi. This lifeless Naomi. She was experiencing God's blessing and his provision through the hands of her daughter-in-law. That, that God was sharing. And now we see that not only Ruth is helping Naomi recover, but Ruth tells Naomi, look, the man that, that did this, the man that allowed me to, to glean, oh, his name is Boaz. Well, Boaz, well, he's part of our family. He's, he's part of who we are. And what we begin to see here is that the blessing, God is using Boaz as the blessing. Her lips are no longer talking about bitterness, but her lips is full of praise. Her lips are sharing praise. God bless whoever has had you or allowed you to glean. God bless now that I know it's Boaz, that he would bless him for his loving kindness. Do you see God's hand at work in the story? Do you see God's hand at work in your life? How do you see God working in your life? Is God calling you to bless someone else? Is God calling you to praise him because of someone else blessing you? God uses his people for blessing. And if we are his people, he uses us for provision. And that is living well in a broken world. It doesn't mean, hear me church, it does not mean that Naomi forgot her sorrow. She didn't forget that she had lost her husband, her two boys. She didn't forget all that had happened to her. But in the midst of the sorrow, God began to turn her life in a way that she could actually praise him in the midst of the sorrow. How many times in Scripture are we called to rejoice in the midst of the trial? How many times are we called to praise God even though we might find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death? We can't equate rejoicing to the happiness of this world. Rejoicing comes as we receive the blessing, the presence, the very presence of God. That we can actually rejoice in the midst of the sorrow. G.K. Chesterton wrote this, and, and, and this quote, I, I just think it's so apropos here and just has a really good meaning. And, and Emma put it up on the screen. Hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. 
As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is a mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. It is often in that hopeless state that we no longer count on ourselves as being able to pull ourselves out or lift ourselves up or I've got this figured out. It's in that moment that we realize our hope is found in Christ. And we begin to praise God for it. It is in those little things sometimes that we praise God. It may be a hug that someone gives you. It may be a phone call that someone makes. It may be a text or an email that someone sends to you. It may be that knock on the door when you need it the most. How did you know? I've heard that so many times. I've gone and knocked on a door And the member of the church said, how did you know I needed you at this moment? And God provides. If we are willing to be pliable, flexible, God provides. God uses us. We have to listen to the work of the Holy Spirit in us to be able to be of use for others. And please... When someone comes to you and blesses you, give praise to God for it because they listened to God in that moment. We see now that Boaz becomes even more involved in the picture in this text because, no, he's not uh, speaking here, but Naomi and Ruth are are talking about Boaz, and here we see that Boaz begins to be the protector. Protector. Boaz is living into this loving kindness, and and we will see throughout the rest of the text that as as we go through this in, in later Sundays that this loving kindness that God is showing in his provision to us, to them, that What God is showing through Boaz is that same thing, his loving kindness. And and Boaz, Boaz becomes what is called a kinsman redeemer. Boaz becomes that kinsman redeemer. So what is that? The Hebrew word is goel, G-O-E-L. And it refers to several things, but fundamentally it means to protect It means that the Lord protected Ruth, the Lord protected Naomi, and the Lord is protecting them now through Boaz. Boaz became a kinsman redeemer. And we see this and we'll see this throughout the following chapters. Just as the example when he tells Ruth, don't don't you go to another field. You stay right here, and you stay with my maids. And you remember he said, you watch out for her, talking to the head reaper that works for him, his servant. You watch out for her. Don't let anybody rebuke her because of who she is. You make sure that she's taken care of. He becomes that protector. The Goel in the, the Hebrew families were those that person that, 
help the family keep their land. He was responsible for buying back land for the family or buying back those who were sold into slavery. He was to avenge something that had happened to the family. That's one of the, pro one of the characteristics of the Goel. They were to pay the debt of a family member that may have died that owed something. But those are not the meaning here of what goel means. What it means here is God's redeeming activity. And God's redeeming activity is being shouted over onto Boaz as Boaz begins to protect, begins to take care of Naomi and Ruth. He was under no obligation to do this. If, if he was going to act on behalf of the kinsman redeemer, it was going to be that he did this out of sheer grace. He did this out of sheer grace for Ruth and Naomi. And he is already beginning to show his graciousness to them. Again, we will see this in the rest of the story. Why was it that he was this gracious? Will he graciously act as their redeemer as well? This is interesting because we see that Boaz takes notice of of Ruth and he at this point has no romantic intentions towards her. Boaz is different. His cultural makeup is different because of whose he is. You remember the judges uh, at the beginning, it says the very first verse that the judges were in place at the time um, that Elimelech and Naomi left. And we, we know that um, the, the judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But this was not Boaz's mantra. Boaz did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, not in his own eyes. He was generous. He was compassionate. He was caring. Why would he do this to this foreigner? Maybe it was because he knew a generous God. You remember who Boaz's mother was? So the scripture tells us that Solomon was his dad. If you go to Matthew 1.5, you will see the father of Boaz by Rahab. You remember Rahab? Rahab is in Jericho, the first city that Joshua is going to conquer. Seven times around the wall, the walls come tumbling down. You know the song, the story. But before Joshua sent spies in, and these two spies were protected by Rahab, and they didn't get caught. And Rahab was protected. And now we know that God showed favor to a foreigner. Even this prostitute 
Rahab, God showed favor to, can you see why Boaz might have caring, compassion, generous heart from the fact that he had already seen a loving and compassionate God care for his mother? And now he's offering that to Ruth and to Naomi. Boaz was treating them as God had treated his mother. In fact, I believe it even goes deeper. I believe we began to see that Boaz is that foreshadowing of, of Christ. And so as a kindred, kinsman redeemer, Boaz beautifully foreshadows the redeemer of God's elect. Boaz represents both sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus Christ. As our Redeemer Christ paid our, the price for us in his life, giving his life, death, and resurrection for us, something we did not deserve, but he did. And he brought us into community. And this is exactly the foreshadowing we see in Boaz, that this covenant promise of God as Redeemer through Christ we look back at Boaz, and Boaz is that foreshadowing, that redeeming, kinsman redeemer for these two women. We don't have to stand amazed at Boaz's example, but what we should be is moved. We should be moved to worship and to praise. And here's why. I believe, and we can have this discussion in Sunday school if you disagree with me. I believe, as believers, we are like Boaz. We're not a foreshadowing of the first coming of Jesus Christ, but we are a foreshadowing of the second coming of Jesus Christ. In other words, God has called us as believers to share, to go, to share his word, to tell the story of the coming Christ who will come again and judge the living and the dead. We are not the Redeemer. He is. But he uses us. He uses us to care, to share, to have compassion for his people. And it doesn't matter what they look like, how rich they are, or how poor they are, or anywhere in between. It matters that God calls us to share the story of who he is in a lost world. Because he is coming back. He is coming back. And until then, we have a job to do. Share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and praise God and glorify him in all that we do. God uses his people for provision for his people. Look for ways maybe this week to be a blessing. And if anyone blesses you, offer praise to God and say thank you. May God 
add blessings to the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this uh, passage that reminds us of the provision that you make. We can be at the bottom of everything. We can think we are hopeless, but yet you send someone along to pick us up. Your provision for us through Christ is our hope. And Father, we, through other believers, come to, to share and to lift up and to show compassion, to share the story of Jesus, our Savior. And so, Father, this morning, I just thank you that you would use us, fallen, frail sinners, Father, that you would use us to share the good news, to care for one another, to meet the needs of others that have need. Thank you, Father, that you have even called us not only into your family, but, Father, into your creation to walk beside you in sharing the good news of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.